Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries for March the 6th. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today we're going to continue our study on the topic, the breath of God. Last time we were together, we our text is Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And the topic that we dealt with last time was revelation. We discussed just the definition of revelation is the disclosing of information that could not have been known otherwise. And when it comes to the scriptures, there are two types of revelation that need to be dealt with. The first is general revelation, which is God's disclosure of himself through nature, through our conscience, through history. Um, and then today, what we're going to look at is special revelation. So let's go ahead and um, open our Bibles to, uh, well, we'll just have as our text, Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, verse number 12, and we'll move around from there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12 is our text. Special revelation. I left off the other day saying, ultimately, general revelation is not enough. While it does indeed point to God, it is insufficient to reveal the totality of God and his ultimate plan. Um, a man through his conscience knows there's a God. A man through his conscience knows there's a wrong and there's a right. A man through nature knows that there is a creator as that he is a creation. Man can look back through history and see God's hand, especially when it comes to the Jewish people. Um, but again, that is not enough uh, to reveal the totality of God, who he is, his ultimate plan. Um, I think of Adam and Eve in the garden. As they looked around, they knew something was greater than them, but it wasn't until God uh, revealed himself to them in a special direct way that they knew uh, the totality of God, or at least some of the totality of God and his ultimate plan for them. So today we're going to look at special revelation. Special revelation is when God reveals himself to men directly in a personal way. It's information that cannot be learned any other way but through God and must be accepted by faith. 1 Corinthians tells us but the natural man, and when it talks about the natural man, that's as compared to the spiritual man, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he even know them because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, they're spiritually discerned. The natural man does not understand uh, the things of God. Uh, neither can he, is what he's saying there. That's in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, um, verse number 14. The natural man. I'm just interested here. Uh, 2.14. Um, the natural man. Um, talks about uh, just the, the lower bestial, sensual nature. Again, that's prior to a spiritual awakening. Receives not the things of the spirit. Of course, that's pneuma which is for the spirit, they're discerned. 
Uh, in other words, uh, they're unable to properly scrutinize, to investigate, to interrogate, to determine, to ask the question, to discern, to examine, to judge, to search. Um, and why? Because they're spiritually dead. Um, I like to do the comparison. We are made in the image of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I am Dwayne the mind, Dwayne the body, Dwayne the spirit. Uh, my mind is, if you will, to the, to, to, to the God, to the God, to God, the Godhead. My body is to Christ. My spirit is to the Holy Spirit. But what is the connection? What is what connects me to God? It's the spirit. It is that spirit. I used to show the kids, you know, God the body, God the mind, God the spirit. Dwayne the mind, Dwayne the body, Dwayne the spirit. But the way I communicate with God is through the spirit. You see, the natural man doesn't have that ability uh, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. They're, they're unable to do that. And, of course, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Um, the more it's the Word of God, it's that special revelation that enables us to have that faith to make that connection with God. Uh, Swindle, Swindle and Zuck point out in their commentary that special revelation was necessary as it would have been impossible, again, for Adam and Eve to just look around God's creation in the garden and have been able to some surmise from creation alone what's got, what was God's will and purpose for their lives. God had to eventually communicate with them. And, of course, the ultimate form of special revelation is the Word of God. Uh, it's the spoken Word. It's the written Word. And I've shared with people that everything I know about the living Word is found in the written Word. Uh, once we get outside the confines of the written Word, we are getting into speculation. We are getting into... Um, we're getting into... Uh, um, our senses, we're getting into uh, things that aren't sure. Um, that's why we can't, you know, today in the church, everybody wants an experience. We want an experience. As a matter of fact, some churches are calling their services experiences, which is interesting because um, our natural, the natural man has a sensual uh, nature, which is look and touch and smell and, and taste and hearing. Those are our senses. The natural man is spiritually dead. The natural man has no connection to God. So therefore, he longs or he, he, he uses his senses, his fleshly, lower, bestial nature <laughs> to connect with God. And to be honest, that is walking in the flesh because to look, to hear, to taste, to smell, to touch is not faith. So I find it interesting that in the church, where they're all seeking these experiences. Um, I, I find it interesting that 
that Eve's eyes were not open until after she had tasted of the fruit. Um, There's warnings in the Bible against being sensual in nature. Um, Matter of fact, there's a, I may not be able to find it, but there's a, there's a a verse, uh, sensual, see if I can find it. Yeah, James chapter 3, verse number 15. Uh, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. This wisdom. Um, Interesting the context there, James 3.15. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation our life, his works with meekness and wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not, excuse me, against the truth. For this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, and gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. You see, the natural man seeketh the wisdom that is below, <laughs> and that wisdom only comes to him through through his senses, which James says is earthly, it's devilish. And through that, earthly wisdom comes envy and strife and confusion in every good work. But the spiritual man, he seeks that wisdom that is above, that wisdom that is pure, that peace, that wisdom that is peaceable and gentle and easily easy to be entreated. See, there's a difference. I, I, I'm afraid that much of the church is walking in that wisdom that is below. They are walking in the flesh. They are walking in the natural man. And that's what they're seeking. They're wanting the experience. Um, you know, um, and, and, and I see it all. I know I'm getting off, but I see it in, in our churches today. We're no longer happy just to walk into a church with the sun flowing through the windows or standing under a big oak tree with our Bibles we want an experience. We want darkness, and we want candles, and we want mood music. And, you know, James seems to be speaking against that. Why do we want to set this ambiance for God? Why do we want to set the table for God to show up like God ain't already there? I'm telling you, I, I, I think so much of it is flesh. And look at the fruit that is coming out of our churches. Do do you see positive fruit coming out of our churches? Just something to think about. So the ultimate form of special revelation is the Bible itself. That's where we should go. Therefore, it is only through special revelation that we are able to learn truth about God that cannot be known or discovered by general revelation alone. So, we have discussed revelation. We have discussed general revelation, special revelation. And now we go into 
inspiration. Um, obviously, one can have a revelation without it necessarily resulting in an inspiration. But one cannot have an inspiration without having first received a revelation. In other words, they ha- it has to be revealed to them before they can be inspired. Um, you can be inspired, but if you have no, nothing's been revealed to you, you're not going to be able to act on that. So there has to be revelation first for inspiration, for it to flow out of inspiration. The word inspired literally means God-breathed, the breath of God, literally, and that's where I get the text here. It is 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Um, Interesting that 2 Timothy 3.16, right here, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture, instruction, inspiration of God. Uh, Divinely breathed in. All Scripture is God-breathed. It it literally comes from the breath of God, and it's special revelation through the breath of God. And as such, it is profitable. Um, That word profitable uh, means that it's advantageous. It is helpful. It is serviceable for what? For doctrine. And doctrine is learning or teaching. Um, it is profitable for reproof. Um, reproof um, is conviction uh, and for correction and instruction and righteousness. I, to me, it says that it's advantageous. Knowing the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, is advantageous for us for, to know the right teaching. Uh, reproof and correction to me are 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 different. Um, reproof is when you uh, have to. Um, there, there's a subtle difference between the two. Reproof is is this conviction that happens when you when you step over the line, when you do something that you know is wrong, that convicting power of the Holy Spirit is reproving you. On the other hand, correction, um, correction is, um, is a straightening up. It is a getting back in line. And normally, correction um, happens after reproof has failed. <laughs> um, and then, of course, instruction and in righteousness and how to be right with God. So all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's advantageous for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and for instruction and in righteousness. And this inspiration is not to be confused with that of an artist or a musician. I'm a musician. I began playing the violin as a very young man, and then I moved into the guitar and became a vocalist, and, and I know what it feels like to be inspired through music. Um, but this isn't what this inspiration, this, this inspiration, uh, this is a unique event in which God speaks words to man. 
And of course, in regards to the scriptures, man in turn writes these words down. Peter uh, said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, Peter is referring back to him and James and John when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter number 17. And he says, we were eyewitnesses of this. We saw it. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. You remember he said, this is my beloved son. Uh, Hear ye him. Uh, When there came such a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. And of course, he's referring there to Matthew chapter number 17 and the transfiguration. Uh, let me just look back over there. Here it is, Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up to the holy mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And then Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make thee three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, uh, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So here we have God the Father in heaven speaking in regards to God the Son who's being transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and they were sore afraid. And of course, Jesus came, touched them and said, Rise, be not afraid. And they lifted up their eyes and saw no man save Jesus only. So, Peter, here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 16, he's referring to that, that transfiguration. And as a result, he's saying, we have not followed cunningly devised myths, muthos, fables, fiction. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were eyewitnesses of it. And he received from God the Father honor and glory when God came and spoke to him and said, this is my beloved son. Uh, in whom I'm well pleased. And then notice he's making a point here. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard it when we were with him in the Holy Mount. We also, this is what I want you to take note of, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well to take heed. So what Peter is saying here is that you, the greater witness to God is not what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration with me, James, and John. The greatest witness of God is the more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed as a light that shineth in the dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. 
Now, knowing this verse that no prophecy, what's Peter referring to? He's referring to the written word. He's referring to Genesis through Malachi. He's saying that is a more sure uh, witness to who God is than our very eyewitness that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. You and I didn't experience the Mount of Transfiguration. That was something that he and those those three guys experienced. But we have a more sure word in our hands, <laughs> which is the word of God. And then he goes on and says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is a private interpretation. So now he gives a warning here. How many times have I heard someone say, well, that's just your interpretation. Listen, beloved, we can both be wrong, but we can't both be right. It means what it means when it was says, said and who, it's, who it was said to. There's only one interpretation. There may be many applications, but there's only one interpretation. The problem with the church today is we don't do interpretational preaching anymore or teaching. We do applicational teaching or preaching. In other words, you should be able to teach the Word of God, rightly divide the Word of God by accurately interpreting the Word of God, and then make an application to us today. But we don't do that in our churches. Preachers pull a scripture out of context that in its context, looking at the verse before and the verse after, is not saying what he is wanting to apply or, or she is wanting to apply to our lives today. In order to get an accurate application, you must first have an accurate interpretation. But see, interpreting the Bible requires study. Interpreting the Bible requires that we be spiritual in nature, listening to the voice of God, comparing Scripture with Scripture. But that doesn't happen today. You go in the average church today, they're going to give you a topical series of sermons on something. And they're going to use the Bible in a verse to springboard off into that point. But thing is, they're not teaching the Bible. Now, they may be teaching from the Bible, but they are not teaching the Bible at all. Because um, it means what it means, period. It cannot ever mean what it never meant when it was first written, period. Uh, so knowing this first, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private inter interpretation. The Bible says what it says. For prophecy, why? Because prophecy did not come in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's speaking of special revelation. They were moved it was revealed to them. It was inspired, and they wrote it down for you and me. So, in other words, the Bible, by its own claim to inspiration, is always the superior witness, not your emotions, not your experience, etc. The Bible must be the final say in all matters of faith and practice period. So if we want to ask questions about the societal ills that we're having today, divorce, uh, adultery, fornication, 
lying, sexual sins, the ultimate say, the final say, has to be the Word of God, period. Not man, not your church, certainly not your political uh, affiliation. It has to be the Word of God. So next time we get together, we're going to talk about some different views of inspiration because leftists, progressives, moderates, liberals, whatever you want to call them, if they are good at anything, it is redefining words, redefining terms. So when they say, yeah, we believe the Bible is inspired, are they saying the same belief that you have in the inspiration of the Scripture, or are they twisting it just a little bit? They're twisting it. Their view of inspiration is not the same view as your view of inspiration. Their view of inerrancy and revelation is not the same as your view. Uh, and we'll talk about that next time. So God bless you guys. Good to get together with you again, and I hope to see you again soon.